All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and begin to make sure I hit record so we're good to go. Uh, today is August the 2nd. Wow, it, it just feels like it feels like the first um, feels like the first week really of what well, feels like the month of July really zoomed by quickly. Um, now we're in August, getting ready to gear up for the fall. Just thinking about those things, um, new season coming up, uh, and so um, that just reminds me of few scripture passages uh, as we as we move into it, but we're in August now. This is the first Sunday of August. Um, I want to present to you today and over the next couple of weeks a a focus unit um, titled The Church. I want to present for you today and the weeks to come a focus unit um, entitled The Church. Now, we know that if we go back about five weeks ago, I began a series titled Preparing for a New Beginning. Preparing for a New Beginning. And ideally, initially, I would say the idea was to equip us with those tools that would help us be successful as we transition to meeting face to face and establishing. A church. Um, we had an opportunity to go through Joshua 3 and 4, reflecting on Joshua 1 and 2, of course. We got a chance to look at Joshua 3 and 4. We talked about those things that are necessary to move into a new phase of your life. So that really, the series wasn't really just for preparing a local body, but it was more so preparing for any new opportunity that God may call you into. So please keep that series in mind as you venture off into new things. Doesn't necessarily have to be um, established in a new location, but it could be anything in your life. So keep that series um, in, in your mind. Um, and if you go all the way back to the, the past year of teaching, um, You'll note that there are some really some some good units in there that I'm hoping we could continue to build upon from looking at who God is and his characteristics and how much he loves us um, to to how we ought to treat one another and continuing in our series with reflecting on the life of Jesus Christ. All of them are great tools that we as a as the church can build on. So we're moving into we're going to transition from that to this unit title of the church. Now, I posed the question at the beginning of the lesson uh, before we signed on. That said, "What is a church?" I said, "What is a church?" And I'm going to talk about that question. I'm going to go into detail about that over these next week. But I want you thinking about what is a church when you think of that word, what is a church. Um, so my goal um, today is to get into that question, and that's part one of our lesson, which is today. Um, I may keep my screen on over over there, um, just just to have it there, but minimize my big head and maybe put it to the side, and that way you have the the screen up um, 
Thank you. Yeah. So, what is a church? What is a church? So, first, you probably will be distracted. Let me move that up. All right. <laughs> um, first, when when we hear that word church, I want to go to a text that I call like a golden text. I want to go to a text and read where the word is used um, and it's from Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. And it reads, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, or Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, this is the first time in the Bible where you see the word church. All right? This the first time in the Bible where you see the word church, and it's used by Jesus. A couple times in Matthew where the church is used, this is the first time. And then after that, it's used primarily through Acts and some of the writings of Paul. This is the first time we see it here. Um, and I want you thinking about that and thinking about who we are as Christians and thinking about the idea that if we are Christians, we are to follow a pattern that was established by Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. If we are Christians, that means of Christ, then we are to follow after a pattern that was set up by Jesus Christ. So the reason I'm saying that is because what I'm really saying is Christ used the word church. How did he use the word church? In what context did he use the word church? Is going to be necessary for us to understand what a or the church is. So if you look at this passage right here, he was speaking with his disciples privately. He posed a question to his disciples privately. He says, what's the word around town? What's the word on the street? What are people saying? What are people saying about me? They gave some intel. This is the word. They're saying this, they're saying that. Some are saying this, others are saying that. I imagine, I believe, that even though they said some are saying this, I imagine that some of them felt maybe the same way. That's what makes the, the passage so unique. Jesus then transitions and says, who do you all say that I am? Okay, I got that. That's 
because there should be some separation between what the world is saying about Jesus Christ and what we're saying about Jesus Christ. And if we're saying the same thing about Jesus Christ that the world is saying about Jesus Christ, then we are worldly. And we haven't transitioned yet. There hasn't been that change of mind. So he says, all right, who do you all say that I am? Without hesitation, Simon Peter boldly makes a profession and a proclamation. He says out loud what was inside or in secret. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, you are the one. He says, you are the Messiah. He says, you are God in the flesh. Jesus adds to this by saying, what you have proclaimed and what you have received and believed in can only be revealed to you by God because it's a godly thing. And only God can reveal godly or spiritual things. So he says, you're Peter. He says, upon this rock, now where they were standing, there may have been some rocks on the ground, but he wasn't talking about rock in the context. What was he really talking about? He was talking about what was on the inside of Peter that was proclaimed on the outside of Peter, and that was his faith and his belief. He says, it's that faith and that belief that I will build my church. I will build my church. So, the question is, well, after the question is, well, after this discussion, did Jesus as a carpenter go out and build a church, a physical place for them to meet? If you look in history, you look in the scripture, the answer is no. So what was Jesus really talking about? We know that it wasn't something that was seen that he was talking about building. But it was something that was initially invisible, but real. Invisible, but real. So there was an element of this that's invisible, but real, that became physically manifested. I want to get into more of that in the lesson, but we have to keep that part in mind when we're trying to discuss what the church is. So... I want to I want to give you a I want to give you a the purpose of this lesson series. All right? The purpose of this series is twofold. One, the purpose is for me to present a biblical description of the church. I want to present a biblical description of the church. But then what I also like to do, the second part of this purpose is for us to identify with our role as members of the church. So let me say that again. The purpose is twofold. One is for me to present a biblical description of the church. I want to present a biblical description of the church. I'm not going to present a worldly description of the church. 
I want to make sure that we are unified in our understanding of what the church is biblically. Okay? Second part of that purpose is for us to identify with our role as members of the church. All right. So just kind of follow along with me. Today's lesson will be somewhat of a setting the stage for that, and we'll get more into detail throughout the next uh, coming weeks. Um, thank, uh, thank you all for those that had an opportunity to go into the. I sent out a, um, I sent out a survey this week. I sent out a survey this week that asked you to, to fill out an evaluation. Um, form. Um, and that's beneficial because I always like feedback. Um, and so I appreciate um, the 14 uh, responses that I received um, with that and the feedback that was attached to that. Um, if you haven't filled that out, please do. Um, what I talked about in the last lesson unit was unity. I've actually been talking about that prior to my last lesson series. That's going to be a part of this lesson in the weeks to come. Unity. 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 It's going to come up in this lesson. So I have the, the, the task of checking the pulse of us as, as a collective body. Um, and so I've done some things to, to gauge the pulse of our body from sending out our minds to little forms and activity. And I'm looking at the feedback and the participation and I'm concerned. I'm looking at the feedback and the participation and I'm concerned. Um, and then God is putting things on my heart that needs to be presented based on certain things, and I have that task. Um, God is directing the the lessons. It's not really me. Um, however, it's going to be incumbent on each and every one of us to take the lessons and believe in God's word and apply the lessons immediately in our lives um, as we are really here for growth and maturity. We are here to be free from the, the, the shackles of sin in this flesh. John 8.32 says that the truth will make you free. So when, when God presents us with the truth of his word, he is not presenting it to us to spend a lot of time thinking about it. He presented to us for us to apply it. And if we fail to do that, we are, we will continue to be locked in and enslaved in a certain mentality in the way of thinking. So we are, are in the dawn of a new era. However, we initially were birthed out of a a situation at our previous location that was un that turned out to be unfavorable. And so my concern as pastor is that 
we, we, we end up repeating the mistakes and the failures of our past. That's my concern, that we will repeat the mistakes and failures of our past. To avoid that, there are some lessons that I'm presenting and will present that will help to break up that, but we gotta be honest. We gotta be honest with ourselves. We gotta be honest about who we are, who we are in Christ, the church, the role, our participation, the whole thing. I am concerned that a mentality has transitioned from our prior location to where we are now. I am concerned that See, when we looked at Joshua and the story where they entered into the promised land, they had to remove, remember we talked about that consecrate yourself, we talked about this removing of something, they had to remove something and take on something to possess something. So they had to remove that outer garment, that outer way of thinking, they had to take on a new mind in order for them to possess what God had for them. I'm afraid we haven't taken off fully yet. So how will we possess? We gotta take them off. So I'm hoping that the lessons inspire us in that regard. And it starts off with understanding the church. What is the church? What did Jesus mean when he said the church? What is the responsibility of the church? What's the role of the church? What's the role of the members in the church? What is the church? What does that even mean? So I'll give a little bit of history, but I like to go into it. So the passage that I gave you uh, just now, Jesus used the word church, but you almost got the impression that he wasn't talking about a physical location. He was talking about something spiritual. Now, I was going to poll at the beginning of the lesson, what is a church? And I'm sure that even if I ask that question right now, what is a church? I'm going to get a lot of different answers and responses. I'm going to get a lot of different answers and responses. And then when I begin to ask more questions, then the responses will vary even more. We have to be unified. We have to be unified biblically as it relates to the church. So just a couple of things. When you look at the word church and how it's used in scripture, you're going to find some similarities with it. Now, even as I ask you, what's a church? I may get multiple answers. Some may say it's a, it's a the, the secular answer, like if you go on uh, Google or Wikipedia, you might get an answer like it's, it's a building used for public worship, right? public Christian worship. Um, you might get that it is a, uh, a synagogue of some sort. Um, you, you might, you know, get that it's a, a, a place where, you know, church people meet or whatever you, you get. Um, and those have been extracted ideas, but we've got to go back to the Bible first and how it was established and used there. The word church is Greek for ecclesia, and that word actually really just means an assembly. An assembly, a gathering, an assembly or a gathering. I want to, I want to point you to some other context of the word so that we can kind of narrow it down. In Acts, we see it's used frequently. For example, in Acts chapter 8 right here, Saul, who was who became Paul, it said that he was he ravaged the church. Um, 
Paul would often say, like in Galatians here or, or Philippians, that he was a persecutor of the church. So then the question is, well, is he talking about a place or is he talking about people? Well, you can't persecute a place, right? He says he ravaged the church right here. He said he would enter house after house. So, uh -oh. so that tells me that churches were inside of homes. And it said that he would drag off men and women and put them in prison. So he is persecuting the people. All right. So then you move forward to a passage like in Acts 14. It says that Paul arrived at a location and that the church was gathered together. Like buildings gathered together? No. The people were gathered together. All right. And so he began to speak with them. And then you look in Romans, for example. It says that Priscilla and Aquila had a church inside their home. All right. So that's Romans right here. Colossians follows that same thing. You look in the first Corinthians passage when it's talking about uh, spiritual gifts, one that we'll look at over this month. You see that these gifts were used to edify the church. But the is he saying edify the building? No, he's saying edify the assembly of people. So what you have is the church that is a body of believers, groups of people. So when we take a title like New Hope Family, that's not the building. That's the assembly of believers or Christians. The place is a place that we will agree to so that we know where we're meeting every week. But the church is you and I, everyone on this call, and every other believer that's that's living today. I want to read. Uh, I want to read Ephesians one um, in its entirety, just to kind of point some things out. Ephesians is a unique book of the Bible because. Paul set it up really to strengthen the church. When I say church, I mean the body of believers. Paul wrote this to strengthen the church. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mysteries of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end 
that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of your faith, of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which existed among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation and a knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what it is, what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Lots of you on right there. We will. <laughs> Please read that this week. Um, but there's a, there's a reason that I read the entire chapter. All right. Reading teacher. Whew, had to get it out. Um, so if you look at Ephesians and if you studied Ephesians, Paul writes this letter, but he usually when you teach a lesson, Paul was their pastor. He was their leader. He was their shepherd. I'll talk more about that later. Usually when you teach a lesson, you, you present something and there's like a call to do something. But in chapter one, there's not a call to do anything, actually. Because believers cannot and will not do anything until they understand something. See, the understanding must come before the action if it's going to be appropriate to God's will. Now, I will say there are believers and Christians that, that, that do a lot without the understanding, and they are accursed. They are judged by God because they believe that in their flesh they can do the things of God without the understanding of God, and that's backwards. <laughs> that's the conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus. He said, these things are heavenly things. You can't understand them because they're spiritual. Once we understand spiritual things, then we can move into that. But there's a reason that I presented to you Ephesians chapter 1. Somebody might say, well, what's the reason, Robert? Here's the reason right here. I hope as I read that long chapter that you heard some things that started to repeat itself. Paul said multiple times, everything that he said, there was a, a, a prepositional phrase connected to it. In Christ Jesus, right? In Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in him, in Christ Jesus, in him, in Christ, over and over and over again. He attached these phrases 
to the things in Ephesians 1 that he says believers have received for being in relationship with Jesus Christ. Like spiritual blessings, like predestination, like uh, redemption, uh, like the spirit, like gifts. All of the things that we have received as believers or the church is because of Jesus Christ. So the first one, it says, it says, in Christ Jesus. He says, we are saints because of our relationship with Christ Jesus. He says that we were chosen in him, in Christ Jesus. It says that we were predestined unto adoption when we are adopted into the family of God through Christ Jesus. It says that God gave his grace freely on us because of the beloved, in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. We move on. He says, we have redemption at the beginning of this. In him, in Christ Jesus, it says that we have a purpose in him, in Christ Jesus. It says that we have the fullness of these things in Christ Jesus. It says we obtain an inheritance in Christ Jesus. It says that we have a hope in Christ Jesus. It says that we have the truth in him, in Christ Jesus. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In him, in Christ Jesus, it moves on. It says that we have a faith in Christ Jesus. We have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's what Paul said he was praying for. In the knowledge of him. In who? In Christ Jesus. Strength of the spirit in Christ Jesus. What am I really saying? You have nothing apart from Jesus Christ. You have nothing apart from Jesus Christ. I don't think we really understand that at times. So when we talk about a hope, especially in today's time, when we talk about a hope, when we use the word hope, I don't even think believers understand what hope means. Hope is just, just a basic five minutes session on it. Hope is the belief that the things in God's word will come to pass. How will I have a hope if I don't have Jesus Christ? If I am walking around apart from Christ living my own life, doing my own thing, thinking the way I want to think, how can I have hope? Hope is connected to me abiding in him. What we have is fear. What people have is fear because we don't walk with Jesus Christ. We're not abiding in Jesus Christ and in the spirit. So we have fear. There is no hope. There is fear. I pointed that out because when we talk about the church, the church is the body of believers that have received great riches as a result of being a part of the body of Christ. As a result of being a part of the body of Christ. 
So Ephesians 1 set that stage. In Ephesians 1, Paul was trying to make it clear that, first of all, before I ask you or tell you to do anything, there must be an understanding. And the understanding must be that everything that we receive comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And if, and if we are to walk as Christians and as believers and function as the body of Christ, we must understand the biblical truths related to our salvation. So then he moves way to Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, and this is really when he starts to tell the, the, the body, the assembly that he's writing to, to actually do something. And what he says to them is one thing that he says to them to do, which is here in this first verse, and he says, therefore, all right, he says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So he says, before I can tell you to walk a certain way, you have to know some things that you can walk in. So he says, now walk like a Christian. Now act like a Christian. All right? He goes on here, and I put it on the screen so that you're able to read through it. He goes on and he talks about this unity of the spirit here in the third line. You notice that Paul doesn't say you must have unity in the spirit. He talks about preserving the unity of the spirit. See, we're already united in the spirit, you and I because we've accepted Jesus Christ. We can't make unity. That was something that was created by the Spirit of God. We're instructed to preserve that, maintain that, all right? Um, he talks about a few other things in here that I'll put on the screen here as I talk through, because I'm gonna point out the details of this passage, but. Paul finally tells the, the church or the, the body to do something, and that's walking like a Christian. Inside of this passage are specific things that are attached to our role as a member of the body of Christ that I'm going to expound more over the weeks to come. But I want to point out that Ephesians is a good book, really, to identify that. But I want to point a few things out to kind of point to this passage of Ephesians 4. First of all, when we talk about the body of Christ, all right, remember when we looked at the end of, I don't know if you remember this, so let me go back. At the very end of this Ephesians chapter one, he says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet, that's Christ, under his feet, meaning he's the authority, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. This verse tells us that the church is the body of Jesus Christ, okay? The church is his body. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul points to things that we are to carry out as members of the body of Jesus Christ. So let me point to some things that are important to understand in the body of Christ. First, Members, you and I, of the body 
or joined to Christ in salvation. This was a work of the Spirit that happened at the point of salvation. What, what is that salvation that I speak of? If you remember, we'll go back to the Matthew passage. It is the faith and belief in Jesus Christ and who he was and is. So we're joined together because of our faith. You and I and everyone listening to this and everyone from around the world, we're joined to Christ and salvation. We make up the body of Christ. And you saw that here where he says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Right? Um, and I'm bringing this down to a close, but I want to make sure that going forward with the lessons over the weeks to come, we at least understand what I'm, I'm speaking of the body of Christ. You could say I'm speaking of the universal body of Christ, if you want to put it there. Number two, the members of the body are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have to know that that's the source of power. We have to know that that's the source of power. If you're not walking in the spirit, you have no power. If you're not walking in the spirit, you have no power. And we have power. Like the superheroes walking around. We have power, all right? <laughs> but it's not in the flesh, all right? It's in the spirit. Um, so this is why he says that there's a unity of the spirit, right? Because we all have it. We all have the spirit. So what am I saying? It sounds like I'm saying the same thing that was in the body of Christ when he lived and walked this earth is the same power that's inside each and every one of us, right? That would make sense if we said that we are the body of Christ. Yeah. So another thing, members of the body, you and I, we possess a diversity of gifts. That's what Ephesians 4 talks about gifts. Everyone has a specific gift. Um, I can tell you your gift. I can tell you mine, but I can't tell you yours. Um, but that's according to the grace of God, which is what this says. That's according to the grace of God. I can't give you a gift. That's God gave you that gift. But he's the only one that knows that gifts and knows how that gift should function, so on and so forth. All right, so he talks about gifts, which we'll get into over the next weeks. Um, you and I, as members of the body, we share a common bond. We're connected. There's a common bond there. We're, we're connected together, the whole body, whether we like it or not. So here's where it comes in. This common bond means that we're equal. All right? Meaning I'm not better than you, and you're not better than me. You're not greater than I am in the eyesight of God. No matter what people try to say or teach, this it's important for today in the world that we live in now where we think that people are better than others. No. No. We have to teach, preach, and accept equality. In the body, we're all members. One member isn't greater than the other. Christ is the head. As members of the body, we have to remember that Christ is the head. Christ is in charge. It's not you and I. It's Christ. There's one head. A lot of members of the body, one head. That's Jesus Christ. The moment we step away from that, then we then that's when things start to malfunction. And that's what the Ephesians passage will say. Um, that phrase right here is connected to not being fooled by false teaching. Um, by craftiness and trickery of man, but to understand Christ being ahead, 
in truth. I have the the task of teaching this body of believers. That is my number one responsibility. That is what God is calling me to do. In order for us to grow, I have to do my job and my part. And everyone has been called to do a specific task. And my task isn't better than your task. Christ is the head. And the last part I want to just kind of use to sum it up is remember body, Christ's body is to manifest itself to the world. So you and I and everyone that's listening, we walk around this earth, we are representing Christ in the world. All right. And how can I represent Christ if I don't know Christ? So how can I know Christ if I don't study God's word? Because the word is the mind of Christ, right? And so there's some things that we must accept. Christ's body is key. For us to understand how we as the members of the body ought to walk, we have to understand what did Christ do with his body? So we look at, that's why I started teaching our lesson series on Christ's ministry because what I'm trying to Jesus was setting up something. He was setting up his church. Right? That's what the scripture said. So how did he set up his church? He walked around and he taught the people. The church is built on teaching. The body is built on teaching. Not this other stuff that believers get involved in. It's teaching. It's accepting God's word. It's knowing God's word and being able to carry it out. So that's why the, the major part of his ministry was teaching the people. So what did Christ do with what did Christ do with his body? Because that's how we ought to carry out our, our role as the body. First thing, he kept the, as I as I bring the lesson to a close, I just want to recap with this. First thing, he kept his body undefiled. In order for that to happen, two things are, are important about that phrase. One, he was filled with the spirit and he walked in the spirit. He surrendered and he obeyed the spirit. That's first. And then where I said, and that maintained him. And where I said it, it was undefiled, he did not sin. He was sinless, you know that. In order for him to do ultimately with his body what he was going to do, it was important that he walked in the spirit like it's important for us to walk in the spirit. And it was important that he refrained from sin. It's important for us to do the exact same thing. All right? The second and last point about that is he gave up his body for others. Now, these two points are what I'm using to transition to our next lesson when we get to some specificity. If I said that right, the specifics of our role as members of the body. He gave up his body for others. He sacrificed his body. That's one. He sacrificed his body. And he didn't sacrifice it for himself. It was for the benefit of others. So when we talk about the body of Christ, we must remember Romans 12, 1 and 2. As I close, I want to read it. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. As the body of Christ, we have the responsibility of manifesting Christ to the world. That means we understand our role as members of the body. I want to end with a, a word of prayer, if you could uh, bow with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come just thanking you for another opportunity to meet fellowship. Just thanking you for the reminder of why we're here. Uh, knowing that we are here to glorify you and to represent Jesus Christ. We thank you for providing for us everything we need to carry that task down. Your spirit, love, grace, protection, peace, mercy. Your word, teachers. We pray that we would grab hold and possess the things that you have provided for us so that we can be strengthened in the spirit and carry out what it is that you called us to, to do on this earth. We thank you. We love you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stop this.